Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Her skill portraying characters with honesty, humor, pathos, and believability is behind the more than 25-year career of stage and screen actress Alana Levine. On Broadway, she's best known as Lucy Van Pelt, starring in the revival of your good man, Charlie Brown. Alana has also been in Jake's Women, Wrong Mountain, and The Last Night of Ballyhoo, and also performed on the Tony Awards. Her film credits are extensive. In no particular order, Alana has had roles in Failure to Launch, Confessions of a Shopaholic, Kissing Jessica Stein, Gigantic, The Nanny Diaries, Friends with Kids, and Five Flights Up. TV appearances include Seinfeld, specifically the infamous contest episode, Law and Order, Tanner on Tanner, 100 Center Street, The Job, Rescue Me, Cashmere Mafia, The New Adventures of Superman, NYPD Blue. Alana was a producer on the film Ira and Abby and produced the play Tape, which ran in New York, L.A., and London. Alana is now a member of the podcast universe, having launched Little Known Facts. Some of her guests include Cynthia Nixon, B.D. Wong, Matthew Broderick, and John Slattery. Alana is married to fellow actor Dominic Famusa. They live in Brooklyn with their son, daughter, and dog. Alana, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Wow, thank you. I wish you were there every morning when I woke up just to let me know <laughs> oh, I've done I things. believe in you. <laughs> exactly. So growing up, yes. did you put on plays for friends? I would say that I more put on one-woman shows and stand-up routines. I was the youngest of three, and I definitely thought that I had been born to entertain my family. There's a huge gap between my the middle and me, and I really wanted everyone to know it was worth waiting for me uh, and that I really belonged. And so I made sure my place was kept by being highly entertaining and a bit of a negotiator between my two older sisters who were very close in age. Oh, it's three females. Yes, yes. But sometimes when you're the youngest, you get all the attention just by virtue of birth order that they'll mother you like mom does. I didn't know that. I think that would have been true regardless of how hard I worked. But when I was born, there was no like quick manual, okay, for the third child followed these rules. Mm-hmm. So that is what I came up with. And it worked. It just worked. Because they found you entertaining and then they paid attention to you. They did. How was this acting cultivated in right. you? So I would say, as opposed to a lot of people who ended up being performers, they talk about how early on they were cast as, you know, the lead in The Music Man or, or the lead in Annie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really came to this later. My career in acting was born truly out of my other career, which was being boy crazy as a young person. Okay. I was young. I graduated at 16 from high school, and my parents wanted me to have a gap year between high school and college. And that gap year ended up being a year in Israel, and then I traveled around Europe. And when I got back from this gap year... Hold on. Did you do this alone? I did it through a program sponsored by an organization. I got college credit, actually, for part of my time. I studied Mm -hmm. at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And then I lived on a kibbutz and sort of traveled around. And then that summer, with a group of kids that I'd met on that tour, I ended up traveling through Europe. And when I came back, I had basically what my mother thought looked like dreadlocks. And there was a family wedding, 
And she was like, can you please, I know you've been backpacking through Europe and having all of these awesome experiences. Could you go to the main street in our town of Teaneck? And there is a um, salon. salon there. <laughs> I think it was called David Allen. Oh, sure. <clears throat> Pardon me. And there was an incredibly handsome, like a la Warren Beatty in shampoo stylist named Bruno Rondinelli. And Bruno Rondinelli, as I was sitting there and he was trying to, you know, untangle my dreads, had a play sitting on his station. And I think as part of my flirt, I started reading this play out loud. And he was like, you're really good. And I was like, oh, how am I? And he's so you're like, lines from a script. Like Long Day's Journey into Night. I oh, think he okay. was doing some scene study class in the city when he wasn't doing hair like Warren Beatty in Cedar, on Cedar Lane in, in Teaneck, New Jersey. And so he invited me to go to an acting class with him. And I probably would have gone anywhere with him. Luckily, it was an acting class and not Vegas, as it turns out. Um, I would have been a showgirl. So you were smitten with Bruno? Uh, I thought he was adorable. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a lot older than me. It would not have worked, and I appreciate that. I believe he has his own salon now and a beautiful family. Um, I stayed in that acting class, and he left. Mm -hmm. And that moment, I was going to be um, a business major. That was what I thought I was going to do when I came back. So this is all serendipity. All serendipity. And there was something, there's a feeling that happens, and people have it, some people find it, in a a church, and some people find it on a commune, and some people find spiritual leaders, where as uh, a young adult, they go, oh, these are my people. And there was something about sitting in this class with a beautiful acting teacher named Gloria Maddox in a studio called the Terry Schreiber Studios, which still exists to this day. Your appetite is more than whetted, and you take this class And then what happens? Do you go to school and... So everything changes. I change sort of where I want to go to school. I want to stay in New York. Right. Um, Ironically, I I got into NYU and I got into Fordham University. NYU had a very old, longstanding theater department. School of the Arts. School of the Arts. Which is where I went. Fordham University, a Jesuit university. Ironically, also had a newer... Uh, theater department, but they versus NYU were willing to take my entire year of credits from that gap year I mentioned earlier. So I sort of was able to do college in three years instead of four and chose Fordham and ended up going there with, um, you know, Denzel Washington and graduated from there. Patricia Clarkson had graduated from there. And while I was there, an actor named John Benjamin Hickey, who won the Tony for The Normal Heart recently. Oh, sure. Um, and Julie White, who's another wonderful actress. All of these incredible actors, it turns out, were there as well. So I found, again, my people. But I got a job very quickly. I had a crazy thing happen where when I first started, I did – you would get jobs by looking through a magazine called Backstage. Backstage. And it was a would, newspaper, It was a newspaper, mm-hmm. sorry. And I went to this showcase audition. I got it. It was a David, an early David Mamet play. And I'm doing the play one night. And backstage, a guy comes back and he says, Alana. And I say, yes. And he's like, it's me, Stephen Hirsch. And Stephen Hirsch had been my – camp boyfriend when I was in like fifth grade, he was now an agent. Took me on very quickly. You know, some of this just sounds made up. It is not made up. Bruno, Steven, all these boys in my life. No, but I mean just coincidence. Coincidence. That's what I mean by made up. Coincidence. And he was sweet and angelic, you know, 20 years later, exactly as he had been when we were in camp together. And 
just as crazy things happen, the director, Robert Altman, was casting one of HBO's first series. And the way Robert Altman worked is he didn't have a casting director cast his things. His producer would call a couple of agents that they knew and say, hey, I'm working on this project. I'm looking for. I'm mm-hmm. looking for. It's a political satire. Cynthia Nixon is cast as the lead. We're going to run a fictional candidate called Jack Tanner. Michael Murphy of Woody Allen movie fame is going to be Jack Tanner. Who do you have? And oddly enough, my teeny tiny agency had the actor Matthew Modine, who was very well known, had starred in Birdie, and had done the Kane Mutiny Court Martial, I think, with Bob Altman the year before. So that agency's number was on Robert Altman's producer's list. I was at acting class. I called in for my messages. I think it was called Bells Are Ringing, and you would call in. And usually they were like, <laughs> by that point, I was just friends with the opera. She'd be like, Alana, sweetheart. Nobody Honestly. <laughs> Honestly, it's great to hear your voice. But the only thing I know is you don't have any messages. And she's like, you do. You have your agent called. Get up to, you know, Park Avenue and 65th Street. I had no idea who Robert Altman was. I'm ashamed to say. That is an embarrassment, It is Alana. an embarrassment. Maybe that helped mm-hmm. because but I you went weren't up, scared no out idea, of your mind. No yeah. idea. And I do remember that at the time I was devastated because Connie Shulman, who has been um, – will will f- cut to my podcast later and how that happened, but she was recently a guest on my podcast. She stars in Orange is the New Black as Yoga Jones. She and I had had a whole scene prepared, and I was devastated. I was like, Connie, I can't do our scene today. What should I do? Should I stay? Maybe I won't go on the audition. And she was, Alana, it's okay. We take these classes. <laughs> so, so we can go on auditions. So yeah. Alana, you need to be smacked around a little bit. <laughs> I was just such a people pleaser. I told you that mm-hmm. earlier. I'm there mm-hmm. to entertain. I don't mm-hmm. want to disappoint Connie or my sisters or anyone on the planet. Anyway, I went up to Bob Altman's apartment. On uh, He had a company called Sandcastle at the time. And I think I was there for four hours. From there, we just clicked. And next thing I knew, I had my first job. Basically doing a, a series for HBO. So you're what? You're not even 25. No, 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 no. I'm I'm 22. There wasn't even a part written. You know, Cynthia Nixon had been cast as the lead, but because she was still in college and had seven other jobs, they were really, it turns out, he and Gary Trudeau, who wrote it, Gary of Doonesbury fame, sure. like in case Cynthia couldn't do it, almost an understudy for a TV series. So when I left, he's like, you know, kid, there really isn't anything for you. Let me talk to Gary and see what I can come up with. And frankly, had I just had that moment with Bob Altman, that would have been enough because then I knew who he was by the time I left. I saw all the movie posters on the wall and they wrote a part in for me and I ended up doing it. And that went on for, you know, about a year. And then we regrouped and did it again during the 2004 election, this time for the Sundance Channel. So there you go. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Alana Levine, actress on the small screen and the large screen, and she also hosts her own podcast, which we will get to in a bit. So at that point, that must have been such an amazing validation. It was an amazing validation. And to be quite honest, as a first job, much of it was improvised. And it turns out that I'm really good at improv. And Mm -hmm. whereas other actors would get very nervous, where's the script? I need to know exactly what I'm going to do. I sort of flew with it. In a way, you had nothing to lose. And if you fell on your face, I fell on my face. Although Altman never lets you fall on your face. He he finds a way to to make lemonade out of anything Mm -hmm. that you do. But that became my family. You know, Cynthia Nixon... 
Daniel Jenkins, who went on to to star in Big on Broadway and many other things, and Pamela Reed, who's a beautiful actress, and Michael Murphy. I remember Michael saying to me at the time, you know, it doesn't get better than this. I almost feel sorry for you that this is your first job. That you started out on such a high, you mean? You're Mm going to be looking to find this again your entire career. And it's true. I found on Broadway the same kind of... um, dream landscape to work in years later that I had with Altman because Altman does a play. I didn't realize he works as if you're doing a play. So that's amazing that that was your first relationship. And he and I went through a lot over the years. You know, he offered me a part in The Player, a movie shortly thereafter. I had said yes to a play, and I felt like I needed to honor that commitment, doing a play, the theater. You know, that play wouldn't have happened if I had to quit it. His movie was going to go on without me. And he said it was fine, but it wasn't. It took a while. You know, it, it was interesting. Everyone has an ego, even the great directors. What do you mean you're saying no? But by the time we regrouped and did, you know, Tanner on Tanner again, and 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 when he passed away, I, I felt like we had completely solidified our our artistic matter. love affair again. Yes. But you were able to marry television, movies, and stage. Not that that's such an, an yes. anomalous situation. No, but they're very different venues, and it turns out that I that I enjoyed all of them. Well, it's not even so much enjoying it. That's almost parenthetical, that you are adept at all of them. I think that's more the point, that you can make that transition from the stage live to TV and to movies. Did you find that difficult, or was it a natural act for you? I think that, for me... The thing that has always attracted me and driven me is good writing. And when you have good material and you're working with talented people who allow you to fail just as much as you are allowed to triumph and are patient, I think that I've been very lucky. I've worked with some amazing directors, both in the theater and on television and and on film. And when you're working with collaborative people, uh, you feel safe. And I think that's the most important thing. I learned on the job with everything. You know, my first waitressing job, I said I'd waitress before. And then I got to the kitchen and they said 86 salmon. And I went out and tried to sell 86 salmon, only later (laughs) to find out it means we have no more salmon. So obviously they figured out very quickly that I charmed my way into this job. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know very basic lingo Mm -hmm. for restaurant work. And so I think from a very early age in my career, some of which has, there have been tremendous highs and tremendous lows. I would have to think so. I have learned that it's okay to ask questions and that I don't need to know everything. Being in the revival of your good man, Charlie Brown, as Lucy Van Pelt also means that you sing. Well, you know, it's ironic. I don't know that all of the fans of that show would agree with you. I am very good with comedy, mm-hmm. and Michael Mayer, the director of that show, it's funny, and, and for people starting out, you do a job, and you never know how it will be impactful later on. I did a play, and 10 years later, Michael Mayer was casting Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, and he remembered me in this play, a straight play. It was not a comedy. I mean, it wasn't a musical, and there was something about the essence of that character that reminded him of Lucy, and along with uh, an incredible casting director, Jay Binder, who's been around for a long time and has cast many Broadway shows that people have seen, they talked about, let's bring her in and, and let's see what we can do. And so I remember auditioning for that show 
in a building. It's 890 Broadway. It's a very famous building in New York for Broadway musicals. It's where they rehearse. And I remember being in that room, and I was like, I'm already singing on Broadway. I don't even care if I get this show. I literally was like, oh, right, I'm on this, 890 yes, Broadway. <laughs> and I was in the room with all of these unbelievably famous Broadway divas. I saw them in the waiting room, and I just thought, this is hilarious. As opposed to, this is a mistake. I didn't feel like it was a mistake because there was a symbiotic relationship between Lucy Van Pelt and me. We both think that we know everything, and we both don't mean to hurt sometimes. We're just teaching. And You have a very strong sense of self. I do. I do. I mean, my children definitely have been the first... Um, to actively threaten that sense of self mm-hmm. uh, and make me feel like, wow, I actually have no idea what I'm doing. Um, well, that's their role. That's their role. But I, I did feel like from the first moment, you know, I actually sang a song the first time I went in for Charlie Brown. And I don't mean to say I wasn't shaking in my boots. I'm surprised my knees knocking together couldn't be heard in the room because mm-hmm. it's one thing to act. It's another thing to sing. But I did learn that, you know, the intentions are the same with a song or a monologue. But I sang something from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Veronica Salk was a very spoiled girl in the Willy Wonka song. It's like, I want it, I want it now. And there was something about her aggressive, spoiled nature. And it was a song I did know very well. I'd grown up watching that movie that I used to sing at that audition. And you um, nailed it? Is that what nailed it I for you? nailed it. It was a f- great choice, mm-hmm. and it was exactly right. And I came up with a lot of funny shtick to do. Um, and I had an incredible person playing for me at the audition who had worked. His name is Stephen Lutvac, and he went on to write A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. So we all started out together. It's really incestuous, too, it's isn't totally it? It's totally incestuous. But that cast, B.D. Wong, Anthony Rapp, Kristen Chenoweth, Roger Bart, Stanley Wayne Mathis, along with Andrew Lippa and our director, Michael Muir, they brought me along with them. Again, it was an example of they all saw that I could do it even if I didn't know. Well, here's the bottom line. Nobody suffers fools gladly, particularly when the stakes are high. So yeah. they're not going to, you know, just do a favor and, you know, let's have Alana Levine here. <laughs> she seems nice. Yeah, right. Or her father knows so-and-so. Right. I mean, no. not, not when it comes to this kind no. of stuff. No. Maybe one thing, and if you're going to get a job in an accounting firm and you know nothing about numbers. Right. But that's another ball game. Right. Once again, if you're just joining us, my guest today is actress Alana Levine. Do you have a favorite medium? You know, I always say to people, if you have a chance to do a Broadway musical, you should do it. That's literally how I felt. I felt like it was so unlikely that I would find myself not on Broadway, but that I would be in a musical. Broadway in general, there's, there is something about uh, a Broadway audience um, and the connection that you have between them, that's incredibly special. And there's a Broadway community. And that really um, opened up to me the idea of giving back. The Broadway community is incredibly generous. You know, Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, among uh, a million other organizations. And it really taught me... Um, I I feel great pride in the work the Broadway community does, not just to take care of its own, but globally. And that was the beginning of an education in giving back, along with my parents, who have always been incredibly philanthropical and charitable people. I didn't know where mine was going to come from. Was I going to follow in their footsteps? Was I going to find my own kind of charitable Mm -hmm. giving Mm -hmm. passions? And 
And that really um, was a place that that came out of, not just the joy of performing, but the joy of community and giving back. So that, if you had to pick out of the three, film, TV, and theater, that's the one, in a sense, that spoke to you? I like rehearsing. I like what happens in a rehearsal room and theater, you know, off-Broadway as well. Even Summerstock has been some of the greatest experiences. But more than that, you can't not comment on doing something live eight times a week it's as thrilling. opposed to, you know, sitting on a set for 100 hours waiting, you know, to be called, you know, for your part and, in a movie or, or a TV show. And yes, and television film are really the director and the editor's medium, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I could be acting my little heart out and feel like take four really felt to me. And whether it was a technical issue or they end up using the reaction shot of the person I'm acting with, I don't have any real say unless I decide to direct something myself and what the final piece of work is going to be. So I've been proud to be part of a lot of things on film and television. And I would say, you know, being in an early Seinfeld episode was a huge thing in terms of my television career. But theater, it's on me, both the highs and the lows. And there are humiliating nights when things don't go well. But generally, it's mine. How do you feel about being a star, as in a Lucy Van Pelt, for example, and then not being the main character in a in whether it's television or film is that transition smooth well i would say that i never expected to be a star in any medium i really you're just a working woman i'm a who, journey journey woman yes 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 uh, mm-hmm. there's a journeyman mm-hmm. i love collaborating and i love telling stories and the reason i ended up if i may segueing into By being a podcast mm-hmm. host recently is i realized that I'm so honored to be a part of telling a story, a good story. I am also filled with gratitude when people share their stories with me. I understand that. It's, I'm sure you do. Hosting a podcast was born out of serendipity. Uh, oh, what else is new with you? Richie, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, we'll skip all the unserendipitous moments of my life for the moment. But it really, it came to me unexpectedly and... I had no idea what I would do with this opportunity, but I thought I have relationships because I've done this for so long with great highs and great lows. I've started out with a whole, you know, I started out at a theater company called Naked Angels. And out of that theater company have come some of the greatest playwrights and screenwriters of our generation, the Kenny Lonergans and the Warren Lights and the Frank Pugliese's and John Robbie Bates. Joe Mantello, the director, was an actor when I first started out. The actors in the company were Matthew Broderick and Rob Morrow and Gina Gershon and Nancy Travis. And this is just half the list of incredible people. And we did everything in that company. And almost all the people that I now host on my podcast, Little Known Facts with Alana Levine, and I'm saying with Alana Levine because I've noticed if you just say Little Known Facts, there are some porn sites that come (laughs) up also, and I don't want my parents or their friends to be uh, confused. You know, I have relationships going back 25 years now, if not more, with people, and I'm so proud of them, and I'm so proud of how they have evolved from people with backstage you know, newspapers in their back pocket going to open equity calls to starring on Well, that also has to speak to you, too, about the fact that you're interviewing heavyweights that you have relationships with, and they want to be on your show, and they want to talk to you. It's very flattering, 
Uh, these are very busy people, as we all are, and certainly I couldn't promise them uh, the number of listeners that they would get on, you know, Mark Marin's podcast or Alec Baldwin's. Because I'm friends with these people, um, they, it really, they feel they're safe with you. Yes, and it mm-hmm. really feels like we're having coffee together, mm-hmm. and we've invited whoever is listening to be there with us, and not just feel like. Um, outsiders getting to listen in on, you know, famous people are at the table next to us and stop talking and let's eavesdrop on them. But hopefully really included because these are very human stories of people who go through everything that non-actors go through too, with great humility and hard work has paid off. Is that the point of the podcast? I think the point of the podcast is twofold. When I was starting out, there was no YouTube. There was no Google. Mm -hmm. I felt very alone in the process. When I came out of an audition feeling like I had really bombed, Other than a few intimate friends, I had no idea that just around the corner, Diane Keaton was feeling the same way. There were three or four books that older British actors had written about acting, but there was no one really talking about the highs and lows of the day-to-day of it. To my money, when, when there are young people starting out listening to Cynthia Nixon on my podcast, hearing that not only does Cynthia Nixon still audition, she auditioned yesterday, just like the rest of us. But I also feel like there are people on my show who are a current generation of actors who are really impactful, not just by doing great work, but what they do for the world at large, and have something to share about what it is to um, to work really hard and not always have it pay off. We see it as, oh my God, they're already... You will. We see the finished yes. product. And not understanding that no matter what business you're in, it goes on and on. That's and how I feel, in a sense, about my show, why I don't interview hugely famous people. Because to me, maybe it's wrong, but I right. don't think so. People like that have an agenda, and they have an image, and that image you can't crack. And it's not that I'm, uh, I'm interviewing you, so what really happened in Benghazi? That's right. not what I'm, where I'm going with this show. But I think there's a different dynamic if you don't have a bold-faced name. And that I, I'm going to tell you that I struggled and, and to get to this point. And I think that's really kind of interesting that in your show, as you're describing it to me, your guests are quote, taking their clothes off. They are. They are revealing... That sort of surprises me. They do, for two reasons. No one's coming on my show to plug a specific project. Uh, Nor mine, and I agree with that. So part of it is there is no studio or producer behind them saying, you know, you need to mention the name of this film. Or agent. Or agent. Mm -hmm. They're not plugging anything. We're talking about life, and we're talking about... What do you do when it's going really badly? How do you get up again? You know, Reed Bernie, who just won a Tony, he said in his Tony speech that he has been an actor for 45 years and 39 of them were pretty crummy. Yeah. And he was really glad he'd hung on. And I'm really glad he hung on. Most of the people I interview were not people who were born into entertainment families. They weren't reality stars at 20 who then were, were served you know, films and television shows and Broadway plays on a silver platter, which one do you want? These are people who have had a lot of crazy jobs to pay the rent uh, not so long ago and had a real dream and passion and nothing was going to stop them. And it worked. And I think people are very interested in hearing, okay, are there tricks? Are there tips that you can share with me? 
that's an important thing. There are things that you can do. And I feel like it really does translate to whatever business or whatever passion you have. Somebody like a Matthew Broderick, certainly a legitimate feeling, could think, oh, great, I'm going to go on Alana Levine's show. And I mean, how much of this show is going to be devoted to my wife? Right. And are you going to ask me questions about Sarah Jessica Parker? Right. And that's a very legitimate mindset to have. You know, hello. So none. I mean, other than what he brought up. I mean, I do talk to him a little bit because I'm curious. You know, whenever I get my nails done, there are pictures that the paparazzi have taken of them walking their kids to school. So I did want to talk to him a little bit about what it's like when your job is now invading the lives of your children in ways that might feel anxiety-provoking or scary for them, which I think people want to know, not just what's it like to be famous, but also what's it like to What are you complaining about it for? You know, I mean, that comes with the territory. You know, you're going to have paparazzi breathing down your neck to play the devil's advocate. That's right. Never have I met anyone who complains less than Matthew, nor do I know anyone who is more grateful and generous. But he talks really honestly about having hit at a very young age, and then what is it like to sort of dip after that? Does it feel even worse than had it never happened? I mean, there's just a lot of ways in which we negotiate highs and lows um, of our careers. I could go on listening to this, but we've run out of time. See, that's the joy of these shows. You think, my God, the 30 minutes are up already? We, We could just go on and on. Thanks for taking the time out to be with me. It was truly, truly, truly my pleasure to get to know you. And I wish you lots of success with Little Known Facts. It's going to get to be a big known show. I I think that's just Well, I hope you'll come on at some point. It would be an honor. I think the world wants to know some little known facts about Sandy Klein. There are are very few little known facts. Little. (laughs) Very little. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. And please go to our iTunes store page and leave a rating and a review. And if you know somebody you think I should interview, contact us at sandykleinshow.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah.